0: Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley.
1: And my name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 402nd show is Dr. Timothy Walsh. Director Emeritus of the Hoover Presidential Library, and we're going to be talking about the origins and evolution of the presidential library system. Our history buff for today is Dave Baker, so Dave, start us off. Well, I have a question, Dr. Walsh, about uh, getting research uh, from one of the presidential libraries. So whether you're a high school student, a middle uh, grade student, or college or beyond, uh, maybe you're doing a dissertation on the Great Depression and you want to learn more about Hoover's presidency and the the role in the depression um how do you go about uh, making a request uh, to and one the, of the libraries to do the research sure and that, that, that's an excellent question first of all there's a lot of information online in terms of of rules and regulations governing access to the materials uh and of course in times of like this uh extraordinary times as we've you said over and over again covid restrictions apply and there's only uh Information available online. So if you're doing a project right now and you need information right now, it's whatever you can get. Uh, and if you go to, uh, if you type in the name of the president, you're going to go, your first hit is going to be to the website for that presidential library. And because it is driven by the name of that president and the president's administration, uh, you're going to have to go to multiple libraries if you're researching a topic like civil rights or national security or something like that. But you 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 will find that uh, you can, uh, through email and through online communication, get a tremendous amount of information, primary source, printed information, digitized documents, and so forth. So I want to encourage people to be optimistic that they might very well be able to do substantive research online. That having been said there's really no substitute to actually visiting and working uh, in a presidential library reading room uh, where you can actually uh, turn the pages of the documents over and and see the president's handwriting and notes and so forth. Uh, it's a, It's an extraordinary personal experience for any history buff. So if people can visit, if they can get to West Branch or if they're traveling east or west across the country and, uh, to do research, or they're pursuing a doctorate, so they've got a substantive topic that's going to take weeks, uh, then, of course, they want to establish communication, and that's going to be online with the supervisory archivist to get them going. They'll work with reference archivists. And as I said, we do a lot of work, Hoover Library particularly, but uh, uh, all of the State Historical Society of Iowa, most historians, and I'm going to say even St. Ambrose University Archives, has done a lot of work with 5th and 6th graders, and personally, I find that the younger kids, the younger the researcher, the more respect they have for the documentary record so we love working with those kids and the excitement that they have and seeing these uh, extraordinary documents
0: okay why don't we take a kind of a step backward you were talking about presidents outside the 13 that had libraries that were handled in different fashions as the uh, off the cuff um i've been to the adams home in uh, Braintree, Massachusetts, hmm. in Quincy. And their library was kind of uh, formed because Charles Francis, the son of John Quincy, uh, married money, <laughs> and he yep. pretty much just right. kept it, which helped a yep. lot. So if you've got some presidents out there, like the one I think of, when I was a kid, hardly anyone ever talked about uh, James Polk. And then in recent right recent years it turns out that much of the uh blueprint that abe lincoln followed with uh, the civil war he kind of established in the american uh, the mexican-american war and then you've got individuals like jackson who was very revered when i was a kid but because of uh slavery and other issues that have definitely come to the surface um, they're re-examining it. So for these older libraries, or they're not like the official ones set by like the president with FDR. Mm-hmm. How do you go about dealing with those folks?
1: Well, and you know this is a real challenge for the National Park Service because virtually every president from George Washington on, and I can't think of a president right now who does not have a national historic site. Usually. It's located at the birthplace of that president, and it's run by the National Park Service, not the National Archives. I will say this one of the interesting uh, sidelines here is that two of the presidential libraries, Hoover and Roosevelt, uh, are basically a presidential library located on a national historic site. So the Park Service and the Archives work together. But in most cases, for most presidents, it's the Park Service with the papers and the documentary record, Polk, Jackson, and so forth. Are at the Library of Congress or at a local university. So, what you see when you go to the birthplace is artifacts and origins. You don't get much related to their individual presidency. You also raised an interesting question, and that is how we are reevaluating presidents using contemporary uh, social values and mores. We're reevaluating these older presidents to determine whether or not they're. They're, they're admirable or worthy of commemoration. And of course, George Washington, uh, uh, James Madison, uh, Thomas Jefferson, and so forth, were slaveholders. Uh, oddly enough, even John Adams was a slaveholder. Uh, they did have a slave in that household, uh, in his wife's side. Uh, and so... Slavery was so common, and so now we're looking back and we're saying, how do we apply this uh, the, the Black Lives Matter and, and the fact that we've failed to, to take into account uh, the, the ravage of racism and deal with these older presidents? And so it is a conundrum. You know, do we have statues? Do we have a Washington Monument? Do we commemorate people? Uh, given the context of their times, was this to be considered normal practice, as horrible as it is? It's a real conundrum for historians and for those who visit these sites. So, as you suggest, with James K. Polk, uh, who was from Tennessee, which was a slave state, um, you know, and Jackson and so forth, uh, we don't necessarily admire them as we once did. Dave, what kind of special measures uh, do you have to go through uh, to protect uh, these artifacts and papers, uh, because as you mentioned, the intimate experience of a historian or a history buff coming in to the reading room, uh, just to make sure somebody doesn't spill a cup of coffee sure. on uh, one, one of Hoover's important. <laughs> well, you're papers. not going to take any coffee into okay. the reading <laughs> she, room. That's, oh, I, that's I, why I never it. could it, do that's research. That's why John.
0: That's you, why John can't. I go. can't <laughs> do research. I don't. I don't take <laughs> no. coffee crossing no. the street.
1: But but how do you protect? Uh, yeah, how do you protect well, the stuff? Good, yeah, ac- excellent question. Because of course, uh, and and I'll just use personal examples from the Hoover as as a, a way to explain this. Um, first of all, yes, all presidential libraries have, uh, have conservation programs to try to protect them. We do provide heat and humidity controls to ensure that the papers and materials are stored in the least amount of light uh, and that they're, they, they have the lowest uh, or, or a modicum of humidity, closest to 50% or slightly less than that, and cool temperatures because we're trying to preserve the records as much as possible, and if we can digitize them or put them on another platform uh, to. Make make them available because our job is to protect and preserve and to make, I should say, protect and preserve the artifacts, but to, to make available the information. So it isn't necessarily going to be the case that you're going to see uh, the original documents. With more recent presidents, you're going to find that a lot of it's, it originated. It was born digital, so you'll have access that way. And you may actually get to see some of the actual papers just because that presidential library say johnson and forward has not been able to digitize everything uh... but but in most cases with the most precious materials the presidential papers the things that people are interested in they're going to have already digitized them or make them available so that's exactly what you'll see i mentioned a personal story we have at the hoover the papers of laura Ingalls wilder the author of the little house on the prairie uh, books because her daughter rose wilder lane was herbert hoover's first biographer and so there was a relationship a friendship between rose wilder lane and herbert hoover and eventually that led to rose's papers and laura's papers coming to the hoover well you can imagine the fans who want to see the manuscripts and letters that, that rose and laura exchanged in writing the books and so forth well we got to a point where basically we copied everything, and the only thing that people see is the copies they can read them they 're very legible they can make copies of copies, but they can 't get to see the originals they 're just too fragile and frail so we 've got to protect the material in perpetuity, but we always want to make the information available
0: well question along those lines how do you i mean I now have it since Johnson well you said it since Johnson they're putting him on public uh universities but uh, mm-hmm. a president like um Ulysses S Grant who definitely wears a ton of different hats he's got a museum up in Galena where he yep. lived um if I recall right before going to uh the civil war he
1: was a, he was uh, originally I think that was his his uh uh, father-in-law's house,
0: right? I think, exactly. Originally. Yes, and so he was. A, he was, I think, a grocer at that. Point, right, you know? and he's there. There's. A, it's a fine museum. And then, of course, oh, yeah. you have. He was born in Ohio, and there's. Yes. some... And, but then he is laid to rest in New York City. I mean, it, he yes. has. He is everywhere, <laughs> as far as um, you know. Uh, this kind I of... There are eight
1: site, I think there are eight sites to, to Ulysses S. Grant. Which is just <laughs>
0: mind-boggling. So how do you figure out who gets the papers? <laughs> well, of course, the papers ended up uh,
1: at the Library of Congress. So right. the papers and the actual intellectual documentation of Grant's work uh, is, is located elsewhere. Now... Every state wants to claim the yes, heroes as, as a native son. And so, so the state of Ohio would make a, a certain site, uh, a, a, a state historic site, like uh, Grant Schoolhouse, for example. And uh, the state of New York, of course, built that extraordinary tomb where yep. Grant is buried. Uh, and, and so you have other monuments and memorials uh, located at, at various other locations. But you're absolutely right. When you have a national hero, everyone wants to make some claim on that individual. I mean, so is also the case with Lincoln, who was born in Kentucky, uh, you know, and and lived in Indiana and Illinois, uh, and and so all three states claim him to some extent. Uh, And his papers, the majority of his papers, that is, the actual intellectual content, are at the Library of Congress. Now, private collectors had donated to the state of Illinois, which, of course, became the land of Lincoln, And that's what was donated to the Illinois State Historical Society, and that became the intellectual component of what today is the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library. It's private collections and materials, and, of course, state records that that would have, uh, through through county courts and so forth, that would have been uh, 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 created by Lincoln as a result of having been an attorney in Illinois.
0: You know, it it kind of... I've always been being that Dave and I are from the Quad Cities. It has always kind of amazed me, and maybe Dave can correct me that you know he practiced law in Rock Island, and it kind of floors mm-hmm. me that they have nothing there, to my knowledge, of a monument right. of you know or saying that you because know, he he tried he practiced. I know yeah. they have uh, rightfully so in Galesburg with the Lincoln Douglas debates. They yeah. have sites there, but I always kind of my- blew my mind away. They never put something around here for him. Well,
1: it always takes somebody who who embraces it, and because it's usually a private effort, and it's how strong was that connection. And as you suggest, there are so many sites in Illinois where Lincoln practiced law in the courthouse, uh, and one of the great challenges they found was that uh, as they began to gather up Lincoln documents, the number of courthouse documents, county documents they found, where the signature had been clipped. And people had gone through the records and clipped out Abraham Lincoln's signature and sold it to make money or kept it as a private memento. So one of the, one of the challenges is to preserve and protect what you do have and make sure you know where it is.
0: Okay, what well, we would like to thank our guests for the 400 second show, Dr. Timothy Walsh, our uh, Director Emeritus of the Hoover Presidential Library, who talked to us about the origins and evolution of Presidential Library System. The history bus for this, today's show was Dave Baker. You can listen to ROIs it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KaLA HD2 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9:30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on tunein.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at soundcloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.